All right, we're going to talk about mental health. And um, because of the church that I pastor, I thought, well, this is probably, uh, probably a very appropriate subject. Um, no, honestly, uh, I've suffered so much, really, uh, just uh, making sure that I think right and uh, act right. And, um, and it, you know, it's amazing to me how many people, even wonderful, God-fearing, Bible-loving people, suffer from just uh, that old dark cloud that just starts rumbling. Now, we're going to talk about uh, getting healthy. Now, if I were to say, uh, uh, let's, uh, let's be more healthy, instantly, all of us would say, that's a good idea. In January, I'm going to get more healthy, you know. I, we're going to eat better, and we're going to exercise more, and uh, that's actually a very good thing. Maybe not wait till January, but uh, it's a great thing to do. And I am a great advocate of uh, eating wisely and um, exercising. I think it's a great thing. However, the Bible uh, says that, frankly, <laughs> one of my favorite, my life verse, bodily exercise profits little. And uh, so I say, amen, there you go. Um, that works for me. Um, but really, uh, what God's trying to say is that we have more than a body. In fact, Scripture tells us that a person, a human, is made up of three parts. Now, you won't hear this in University of Pacific. You won't hear this down at the public school down the road. You won't hear that. They'll just tell you that you're an animal. You're, the, you're an animal just like a, a whale, you know, you're a mammal and all that garbage. No, you are a human being. You have been spoken into existence by an almighty God. And you were made, and I were made in the image of God. God didn't make a horse in his image. He made a man in his image. Very unique. God is three parts. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Man is three parts. We have a body. And then there is an inner part of us uh, called the soul and the spirit and then spirit, two different parts, but really you can't separate them. Uh, scripture is very clear that you really can't separate the two because they both function inside of us. They're not uh, cells like the brain matter, that's physical. Uh, it's a uh, immaterial, um, it is a, when a person dies, they still have a body, but they don't have a, their spirit leaves, their soul uh, essentially leaves. And so uh, we are made of uh, three parts. Now, when we want to get healthy, we 90%, 95, 99%, well, we're going to really get into this. You know, we're going to exercise and we go buy, a, you know, a treadmill and we, you know, get on a diet. And I think, honestly, I think it's a great thing to do. And it can actually... Um, assist uh, good mental thinking. However, we should spend the great amount of our time on godliness. And that's what Paul said. He said, yeah, exercise profits little, but godliness, that's amazing what it does. And so if I wanted to get uh, healthy, I really need to start with my mind. 
certainly not, you know, ignore my body, but I should start with my mind and my spirit. That's, they, they function together. And we should remind ourselves that it is very important to think right. Now, just about everybody in here uh, texts, don't they? I mean, is there anybody that does not text? You text, Tony. You texted me. And uh, yeah, <laughs> don't be lying in church, Tony. I, <laughs> I had somebody help me. Oh, yeah, well, you still texted, okay. Um, so um, we all, everybody texts. Now, there's a certain language, SMS language, that people use, and I can't figure out about half of it, but uh, there is, uh, when you want to check on somebody, you ask them, are you okay? You okay? And that actually is a very good thing to do, is to check on somebody. Are you okay? Everything okay? How's it going with you? Are you okay? And I will say this, everybody needs somebody to ask that question. It's a terrible thing that nobody cares. Nobody cares how you're feeling. <laughs> we should. And uh, there are people in this building right now that are you're clean and you're dressed nice. And from all outward appearances, you're together. But if you were to privately ask them the question, are you okay? Some may, you know, throw a little crumb for you. Others may just... The floodgates may just open wide and they'll start blubbering in 60 seconds. That amazes me how quick and really how close to the surface many of us, our hearts, our heartaches and our hurts really are. Where are you? What kind of place are you in right now? Good mental health is very important because it affects how we think, it affects how we feel, it affects how we act, it determines how we handle stress. It really, to a large degree, affects the kind of choices we make, how we relate to others. And really, most importantly, mental health, good mental health, actually is the key to having a good relationship with God. Mental health is important at every stage of life. We might imagine that the people who suffer mostly are adults, and I would say that's probably largely true. But teenagers, uh, adolescents, uh, they're going through all kinds of changes as well as all kinds of pressures. They suffer greatly, and even children nowadays. And of course, if your children have been uh, in the public school system, I mean, they just have a whole new other kind of thing. They have to deal with some crazy teacher trying to tell them maybe they're, you know, a homosexual or something. That's just, you cannot believe the pressure these children are under. And so many of them suffer from real challenges in mental health. My point is this, whether you're young, middle-aged, older, or whether you're, you know, a newbie in the things of the Lord, or you might be a veteran Christian. In fact, many of the greatest uh, Christian leaders of history have suffered from great bouts of depression. One in particular that pretty well known is Charles Spurgeon. In fact, he at times, it was so difficult for him, he'd have to go to uh, France, the south of France, two or three months out of the year. In fact, he tried to resign his church several times, and they said, we'd rather have you nine months out of the year than any other minister 12 months. And so they just, 
you know, he suffered greatly. And so this morning, I want to start a conversation. I want to, I want to text you, and I want to ask you, are you okay? Are you okay? Uh, what's going on inside? And what, where are you? Where are you mentally? And so uh, I think with that, we're going to go to a passage of Scripture in Philippians chapter 4. And really, that's what Paul was saying. Even though they didn't have electronic phones or texting, his question was, are you okay? We're going to go to Philippians chapter 4. But first, well, um, I had to laugh when I read this because, well, as we're talking about mental issues, during a visit to the mental uh, ward, a visitor asked the director, what, uh, what exactly is the criterion which define whether a person is a, not a patient or should be institutionalized? Well, the director said, here's the way we determine if a person should be admitted here or not. We fill up a bathtub, then we offer a teaspoon, a teacup, and a bucket to the patient. And then we ask them to empty the bathtub. Oh, I understand, said the visitor. I get it. A normal person would use the bucket because it's bigger than the spoon or the teacup. The director looked at him and said, uh, no, a normal person would pull the plug. <laughs> Do you want a bed near the window or the door? <laughs> there you go. So I'm not sure if you're ready to be admitted or not, but uh, pull the plug. If, they, if, they, if that tester was given, do you pull the plug, all right? All right, let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you that you don't leave any area untouched. You're, Lord, the Bible is for everything finances, our health, Lord, for civil governments, you name it, Lord, it's there, and certainly for our mental health. Holy Spirit, may we behold the beauty of the Lord here in the tabernacle of God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4, if you would please. Philippians chapter 4. Remember now, these are just letters written to churches. This church happened to be in there in the uh, Asia Minor, uh, Philippi. We're going to go to uh, chapter 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds. Hearts and minds. There you go. There's that concept again of soul and spirit. Heart and mind. Those words are used interchangeably. Sometimes God refers to that soul spirit as a mind. Sometimes he refers to it as a heart. But the, it's still the same. It is the invisible inner part of a person, not the gray matter, not anything physically that you can cut on or look at. It is just that inner person, that inner world. He said, I want your minds to be healthy. You're struggling. You're in this community you know, you have all these pressures, you're trying to make a living, you're trying to raise a family, but I want to make sure your mind is in a good place. Are you okay? Verse 8, finally, brethren, and we'll just skip down to the last part, think on these things. Think. I want you to think differently. A Christian's life, a real Christian, a Bible-believing Christian thinks different, and that's the point here. As I look in these uh, first passage here to about verse 9, I see seven steps to good 
seven biblical steps, Bible steps to good mental health. Let's look at those, if you would, please. First of all, be relentless in your dedication. To be relentless in your dedication. Let's read verse 1 together, if you would, please. Um, Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Let's read it together out loud, if you would, all right? Let's participate now. This is good for you. All right, verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Now, if you want to be healthy, mental, if you want to be in a good place in your mind, stay devoted, committed to the Lord, stand fast. Don't quit. Don't turn back. Don't walk out of the way. Just keep plugging. You fall down, get up, just keep going. Why? Because he said we ought to stand fast in the Lord. At any moment, Jesus is going to come. And it's the very moment we think he's not coming, that's the time he's going to come. The trump of God is going to sound. The voice of the archangel is going to ring forth. Let's remind ourselves of the fact that Jesus could come at any moment. And every genuine believer, now a genuine believer is one who has put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. They have repented of their sin and received Jesus. A genuine believer, every genuine believer is guaranteed eternal life. Now, if you had a temporary setback, but you knew that you had you know, $10 million waiting for you at the age of 75 or at the age of 55 or whatever age, you would like, well, you know, it's a setback, but man, I tell you what, I, the lottery's coming, boy. I mean, it's, I can't wait for that day. Well, folks, our name, and Paul even talks about it later, our name has been in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's, man, that's the greatest lottery we ever got right there. And God said that alone should just remind us everything's going to be okay. And that's really a great undergirding to mental health. And that is, you know what, no matter whatever else happens, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. Amen. amen. That'd be a good place to say amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to heaven. Whatever else happens, you know what, I'm going to heaven. And God wants us to live a consistent, yes, a relentlessness about our Christian faith, unchanging, unwavering, uncompromising in our walk. Now, the way to do that really is to have a vibrant private time with the Lord. There's other things, but a quality uh, inner world where we worship the Lord is absolutely vital. Now, some people, many Christians, most Christians, I would imagine, just about every Christian, really, I would imagine really wants to have a private time with the Lord and good devotions. And yet, many of us would have to say, well, I struggle with consistency. I certainly did in my early years. And there are times still when, boy, there are things that pull at you. But I will say uh, it is absolutely the key to having a stable mental condition, and that is to simply have a great private time with the Lord. Now, growing up, when the kids were in the home, we had a no Bible, no breakfast rule. And that is, you know, they would come, you know, to the breakfast table and kind of, you know, rubbing their eyes, and you could tell they just got out of bed 60 seconds ago. And I would say, look, no, 
did you read your Bible? No. All right. No Bible, no breakfast. And that was a rule. Yeah. Now, I don't believe that's the way it has to be. It's just that that was a, a great way to kind of get everybody's uh, on the same page how important it was to be in the Word of God. As they got older, we, and they began to work and have other schedules, you know, uh, I didn't uh, enforce that rule, but I'd always ask them, you know. Uh, oftentimes I'd say, well, what did you learn in the Bible today? Or give me a good word that God's give you today, making sure that at least I would double check on them. Now, here's what I do. I actually have a no breakfast, no Bible rule, <laughs> because I really can't read my Bible until I eat something. That's just the way I am. I, if I try to get up and do something without eating, for me, the minute I wake up, the first thing I think of is food. And I know the first thing that many of you think of is get in the shower, not me. The first thing I think of is coffee and eggs and turkey sausage. That's what I want right there. I wouldn't mind having a big old breakfast burrito. My wife will say, how could you eat a big old burrito at five in the morning? I don't know. It's just a gift of God. And uh, it's just, it just, but I'll tell you one thing, you know. Now, for me, it's a basically no breakfast, no Bible. That's my rule. And because uh, I've got to sit there and have something. But boy, I tell you what, once that's uh, taken care of, and maybe y'all, uh, you know, read, I don't have a newspaper anymore, but, you know, scan the electronic news a little bit, read the paper, or read, I mean, uh, so I eat a little bit. I, uh, of course, I'm, I bathe. I, you know, get that out of the way as best I can, as quick as I can, you know. But, uh, I, and the hardest thing is my hair. That's the, it takes me. <laughs> So much time just bothers me. But anyway, I, so I, there I am. I've eaten a little bit. I'll look a little bit on the news, and then that's it. Boy, then I get to time with the Lord. And man, you never know where it's going to go. Uh, I meditate in the Word. I pray through Scripture, and the Lord will take me this way. I don't really have a, a big prayer list. I do have certain days I pray for certain things, but not a huge prayer list because I want to be led of the Spirit of God. And sometimes prayer lists can, can, sometimes they can get a little too dry. But uh, so the Holy Spirit will take me here. And many of you, most of you, I have prayed for uh, at some time. And the Lord, Holy Spirit will just prompt me and I'll pray for you. Sometimes uh, you've maybe gotten a text from me at uh, six in the morning uh, or something like that. You'll say, and, you know, I prayed for you. And it just, I want you to know I was thinking about you and praying for you. Now, the point I'm trying to say is this, and by the way, if you didn't get a text, it doesn't mean I didn't pray for you. I'll just point that out. Um, the point being, we need to take time out. Everybody needs to do that. We live in such a fast-paced world. It is not an option. A private time with the Lord is a necessity, and most Christians struggle here more than just about any other area of their life. In fact, even Jesus said to these very successful, wonderful ministers, he said, guys, we need to come apart and rest a little bit. We've been so busy. You need to come. Let's just come and have some fellowship and spend some time together. God modeled for us one day out of the week. On the seventh day, he rested in creation before even the curse. He even said, we need rest. It's not a part of the curse. It's a part of a perfect environment. In fact, in the Old Testament Hebrew, the word for rest is Shabbat. Very, it's the verb form of the word Sabbath, which means rest. God 
even commanded his people to rest. And so we have a model, we have a pattern, we have a command. God wants his people to rest. You can't work seven days a week, play seven days a week. You can't just keep going without resting. And the greatest rest is mental, as I mentioned. When God's talking about resting, he's not talking about sitting there and vegging out, although there's nothing wrong with that. He's talking about a mental rest, a spiritual rest, making sure we spend some time with the Lord. Now notice the effect it had on him. The effect it had on him here in verse number one, he said, my brethren, dearly beloved, longed for my joy and my crown, my dearly beloved, he was such a, notice the warmth in those words, dearly beloved, my, I, my long to be with you, I, I, I feel such warmth towards you. That was a direct result of spending time with the Lord. Have you ever had this experience? You wake up and you look outside and the weather bothers you. Uh, you go, you, you drive to work, and the drive bothers you. Every driver is crazy. You get to work, and your coworkers are just driving you crazy. It's just, it's just bugging you. Then you hear the news, and you're like, man, you're so frustrated. You come home, and you get there, and you find that the wash machine is broke, and you're bugged again. You have to go to the doctor's office. You have to wait. You're irritated. Now, let's just start through this day again. You're mad because of the weather. You're irritated at, your, at the drivers. You're upset with your coworkers. You're upset that because when you come home, you have problems. You're irritated at the doctor. Is there a pattern here? Folks, I don't think the problem is the weather. I don't think the problem is the other drivers. I don't think the problem are the people you work with. I, I have a, hey, let's just go out on a limb and suggest maybe the problem is you. Maybe the problem is me. Maybe it's my attitude. Folks, the fact is, it, if I'm not warm, if I'm not friendly and loving, if I'm not got some kind of a positive emotion going on here, I think I need to go back and spend some time in the Word. Paul was he was in the Word. He had a special time. He stood fast in the Lord, and it gave him a real warmth towards others. Folks, and notice how he said it, stand fast in the Lord. The only way I can do this is in the Lord. By the grace of God, I'm going to be able to deal with others. By the grace of God, by His strength, God, I need your strength today. The director of the general World Health Organization recently said this. He said, five out of 10 leading causes of disability worldwide are mental. Half of all disabilities are mental. And they show up as substance abuse. They show up as depression and a whole list of other things. The fact is, folks, we so often have garbage in and, of course, as the, old, as the computer programmers tell us, garbage in, garbage out. There once was a man who was troubled and just so, uh, so upset and had so much issues, mental health issues. 
And he went to a skilled physician and he said, man, you got to do something. And so the doctor prescribed. He said, you know what? After listening to you and hearing about your situation, he said, I think you just need to get out. You just need to get out of the house. You need to go. There's a, there's a wonderful show in town, this very celebrated, hilarious clown in town. And I want you to go and I want you to just sit there and just watch his antics and laugh with him. The man looked at the physician with despair on his face. And he said, doctor, I am that clown. And the fact is, the very man who was making others laugh was within himself not happy at all. And folks, the point is, it takes more to having real joy than to just have laughter. Here, we need to have a walk with God. And so, if you want to have good mental health, I'm telling you, folks, nothing is any more important than being relentless in your personal time with God. Number two, be selfless in your connection. Relentless in your dedication and selfless in your connection. Here Paul said, folks, everybody needs to try to just be at peace with each other in the church and try to, try to love each other, would you? And so uh, not only will it be good for the church of God, but for your own life. Look at verse 2. Philippians 4, verse 2, I beseech you, Arius, and beseech Sintuke, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, here he takes time to talk about some fussing that was going on. It, from the uh, names here, the Greek names, it would appear that these are actually two ladies. Now, it is possible that the two ladies were fussing and kind of having a problem with each other, or it's possible that they together were causing trouble in the church. And so uh, he was uh, encouraging them to be of the same mind as the body. Whatever the case was, he was saying, it's so important that you find your common ground in the Lord, overlook any non-essentials, keep the peace. Somehow, don't be a negative influence on each other, on the church. Don't be a negative influence. You need to be people who are positive. And uh, that is such an important part of our life. If we can't be positive, it's going to be hard for us to feel positive. And then he continues on with a great truth, verse 3. What you should do instead of fussing with each other and fussing with the church you ought to invest in others. Look at verse 3. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow. Now, whether he was talking to the pastor, Epaphroditus, or whether he was actually talking to his wife. Some think that he was actually encouraging his wife, writing a letter back. Help those women which labored with me in the gospel. He said, these precious women were ministers. Unbelievable work that they invested. They were helping with food things. They were helping people in so many different areas, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. His whole point is, he said, I want you to do everything you can to help people in the gospel. Help the pastor, help the leaders, help the ministers, just it, just get behind each other and help each other in the things of God. 
Go out there and get involved in other people's lives. And in fact, helping others helps you. And doing good does you good. Jesus said this. He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Certainly, he was talking about money, and studies actually have shown that giving, money giving, is a very critical criteria of people's mental health. People who have a bad mental health rarely are generous givers. The people who are in a good place mentally, they're generous, they're open-handed, they're the kind of people that reach out to others. And what he was saying was, he said, you need to invest in other people's lives. Many people are so stressed out, so upset that they could never even imagine helping somebody else. But the best thing we can do for ourselves is to get our mind off ourselves and get it on to others. If we see somebody that needs help, help them. You're there in a bus or you're there in a, waiting for a restaurant or something and you see a, an older person or you see a pregnant lady or something. Hey, sit here, sit right here. Just let's always be looking about things that we can do. Open the door for people. I remember opening the door, walking up to the door, and, uh, you know, it's customary that, you know, the younger open the door for the older, or men open the door for the ladies. I know we, that's a little bit uh, dated in this society, but I, I think it's still a good thing. We were walking up to the doors with these, uh, I was walking up the door, there were some young men at the same time. I thought, well, they're probably going to reach open. They see this old guy walking up there, you know, they're going to reach over there and grab the door and open it. But at the last split second, I could see it was kind of a race for the door. And so I figured I'd get there first. <laughs> but when I did, I grabbed the door and I opened it. I said, come on in, young men. And they just kind of looked at me like, okay, and walked right in there. And I thought, you know, I just want to spend my life doing things like this. Let's open doors. You see somebody get out of their car, you know, open the door. Can I put the groceries in your, you know, I mean, you got to be a little careful. They might think you're trying to steal the groceries or whatever. But I will say this, you know, everything we can do to make this world a better place will make you a better person. Yeah, it is, I'm telling you, it is absolutely phenomenal. Just, you just can't even imagine how good it is for your mental health just to spend time helping others. Paul said, look, you've got to have this great personal walk with the Lord and then get out. Spend some time helping others. Dr. Carl Menninger, world famous psychiatrist. He was answering questions after a lecture on mental health. And one person asked him, they said, what would you do? What advice would you give a person who really felt like a breakdown coming on, someone who's going to have, they just feel like mental problems? And they all expected that he would say something like, well, you need to, you know, call your psychiatrist or you need to make sure you get treated or, you know, see somebody. But he said something very plain and yet very wise. He said, i tell you what you do. He said, Go outside of your door, get outside of your house, and lock the front door with you outside. Then you go, and you don't come back to that house until you have helped somebody. Then when you've helped somebody, you can go back to your house. But until then, you just stay out there, and you just look for people that you can be a blessing to. Somehow, at work, 
Go get a cup of coffee for somebody and bring it back to them. Somebody that you see oftentimes at the store, buy them a Starbucks card and hand it to them. Just spend your life just trying to be a blessing and be warm. Folks, I mean, just uh, warmth is just so important. Number one, be relentless in your dedication. Two, be selfless in your connection. And number three, be ceaseless in your jubilation. He said, I want you just to decide you are going to be full of joy. Verse 4. Let's read verse 4 together, okay? It's a very simple verse. Ready? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. All right. Paul must be in this five-star hotel in beautiful Athens, and he must be just telling everybody, you know, you ought to be happy. I wish you were here. Have you ever gotten a postcard from somebody, one you know, of your friends or families visiting Hawaii, you know, and they're there, you know, and they're, they're on the beach and they're just smiling, you know, and, and they write, wish you were here, <laughs> just to rub it in. You're like, yeah, right, that's really great. I'm happy for you, you know, but when you read Paul's words, you would think, boy, he probably was just living this great life, you know, like some of these folks you see on TV, these great evangelists, you know, flying here and there in their jet, you know, and no, the apostle Paul was in jail. No, he was in a prison. No, he was in a slimy, vermin infested, this hole. They dropped him in a slimy hole. They would let him out enough to be there. He wrote and he said, rejoice. In fact, the book of Philippians, 18 different times in one way or the other, he said, rejoice. I mean, he just was full of joy. Find your greatest joy in God. Decide to rejoice because of God. That's what David said in Psalm 37 and verse 4. He said, I've discovered that when you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. But delight yourself in the Lord. I have God. I am saved. Would you say that with me? I am saved. I have God as my father. Jesus as my brother. Folks, I have God in my side. In fact, that's why God gave the name Jehovah, because it's like a name wife or husband. It's a covenant name. He said, just so you know, it's just, I'm just not God to you. You know, if you were part of a, some of these uh, other religions, they would say, oh, don't be too personal with God. You know, he may kill you. No, God said, I want you to be personal with me. In fact, you can even cry, Abba, Daddy, you can, but my name is Jehovah. That's a covenant name. I am in covenant with you, and I don't break my covenants. (laughs) You may break yours, but I don't break my covenant. Find your joy in the Lord. Weave it into every part of your life. Just remember how good you have it. David said in Psalm 104, verse 34, he said, my meditation of him is sweet. My meditation of him is sweet. I just get so excited when I start thinking about the Lord. Last Sunday, we had a lot of fun here in church, and I got up here, we were singing, you know, the Lord, 
reigneth. The Lord reigneth, you know. And uh, the older I get, the more I like to dance. And uh, I just love dancing. I dance by myself in the kitchen all the time, you know. And I mean to tell you, I've got it now. And uh, I dance with my wife. I dance before the Lord. I do. I just, uh, and I love it. I just, and I just decided, you know what? I, my, our dear friend of our church, uh, Eugene Hayden, I loved being around him. He made me laugh and be happy all the time. I, that guy, he would text me out of the blue something, and he wouldn't even say, hey, how you doing? He would just, out of the blue, he would just say, here's what I said in the pulpit, and hit some mistake he'd make, and uh, he'd laugh, and uh, I would tell him a mistake I made, you know, and we'd laugh about it, and uh, he was... A lot of times when I'd be down there, sometimes here, but when I was down there in his church in Mississippi, I'd start preaching. All of a sudden, he'd stand up. He'd stand right up. He'd stand there and say, go. Come on. And, uh, and uh, he'd start singing, boy. I mean, he couldn't, sit, he couldn't sit about three minutes, and he was standing, you know. And, oh, 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 yeah. And uh, I guarantee it, that's how he went to heaven. That's why God took him. God just, he came, went to heaven the early part of this year. God just said, man, I like this guy. He's just praising me so much. I just decided, you know, for years I was just such, I was so dignified. Now, you may say, I didn't know you were, but uh, I was trying to be dignified. But, um, you know, Paul said, rejoice. Rejoice. And then he said, <clears throat> in case you didn't hear me, I say it again. Rejoice. I love that passage, don't you? Rejoice in the Lord always. <clears throat> Let me say it again. Rejoice. Come on now. Get happy. Get happy in the Lord. You'd say, well, Pastor, I just don't think you can be happy all the time. Well, you're right, actually. And the Bible doesn't say be happy here. It actually just says rejoice. Happy is a part of the word happen. What happens? It didn't say be happy in the Lord all the time. It just says rejoice in the Lord always. Because happiness actually is a little bit different. Now, it's good to be happy. Nothing wrong with being happy. And God wants us to be happy. But happy really depends on what happens. Rejoicing is something that is a decision. I'm just going to rejoice in the Lord. Happiness is a thermometer. It just registers how we're feeling. Rejoicing is a thermostat. It determines how we feel. For example, I, I have come to really enjoy the game of golf, and uh, it's a great exercise, a wonderful diversion, and so you go out and I golf uh, regularly. And so when I'm out golfing, they have something called par. Par means how many strokes it should take you from the tee box to in the hole. I have no idea whoever figured those things out. It doesn't seem very fair to me, because par is very difficult. But uh, if you miss the par, you get one over. It's called a bogey. If you get two over par, it's called a double bogey. If you get three over, it's called a triple bogey. They don't even have a name for after triple bogey other than some curse word. And, uh, <laughs> but I will tell you, there are many times I have not been happy on the golf course because it's not a par and it's not a bogey. And, I'm like, and after the fifth ball you put in the water, I'm thinking, why am I doing this? Now, I am not happy. I am very unhappy. But I'll tell you one thing. I never have ever lost my joy, never lost my rejoicing that, 
I'm joying in the Lord. I just, you know, you, you get temporarily unhappy because of the situation. But the joy is something that's constant. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 15 says, all the days of the afflicted are evil. And if you are mentally afflicted, you know what that's talking about. It's just, it's just no fun to live. But when you have a merry heart, you have a continual feast. God wants us to be people of joy. I want, I would just encourage you to be a person like Brother Hayden. Just, just enjoy the Lord, enjoy your salvation. Don't go to heaven with a frown on your face. I read about one man that just decided to just do a smile project. He was not a real smiler, wasn't a really outgoing kind of person, not very warm. He just decided, I'm just going to smile to three people today, and I'm going to, he wrote down actually what happened. So he, that was his project. I'm going to smile, specifically look at somebody, warmly smile, greet them, say something, and I'm going to record what happened. He wrote, he, he started doing that, and he was absolutely flabbergasted at the effect it had just by smiling. Just smiling. Saying just a brief word, being warm. Folks, all of us need to work on that. We need to smile. Okay, I want everybody to smile right now. Smile at me, okay? Yeah, good. Some of you, I'm kind of wondering that. Uh, you, you look like a cadaver, you know, like at, uh, at the funeral, you know. They're smiling, you know. And, but folks, smile and be warm. Be warm to people. Folks, that's, what, that's what's going to do good for the kingdom of God. Many of us are so upset the service we got or so irritated because, you know, we missed the revolving door, you know, one section of revolving door. Oh, man, what is this life coming to? You know, and uh, come on now, folks, smile, be warm and rejoice. Be ceaseless in your jubilation. Be relentless in your dedication. Be selfless in your connection. And number four, be limitless in your humiliation. If you want to think good, you want to feel good, you want to act good, you want to make good choices, you want to relate to good others on a good level, you want to reduce your stress, you want to be mentally healthy, then be humble. Pride is a mental killer. It is just a killer. Now let's look at verse 5. Let's read it together. And this verse, you talk about a misinterpreted verse. Let's read verse 5. Ready? Begin. Let your moderation be known to all men. All right. Let your moderation, just the first part, let your moderation be uh, known to all men. Now, most people, when you say the word moderation, the first thing they think about is drinking. And they say, you know, well, that just goes to show you, you know, you ought to be moderate in your drinking and you know, that's the way to drink. And uh, social drink, you know, don't get skunk drunk. Well, I will tell you, um, and this is just a footnote, but I will tell you that I don't think moderation, it, this verse speaking all about moderate drinking. In fact, I think moderate drinking is probably the worst thing. Social drinking is, just, there's just nothing good about it. Folks, alcohol is a demon. It's a killer. Just stay away from that stuff. If you want grape juice, then go get you some grape juice. And, uh, or you want some grain juice, go get you some grain juice, you know, but, or, but you don't need all that alcohol. It's just no, unless you're some kind of medical thing. I mean, that's a different story, but folks let your moderation, that's not talking about drinking. 
And it's not talking about being a sissy. I'm just a moderate person. I'm a, I'm a basically, I'm a panty waist, you know, a moderate person. That's what I am. That's not what it's talking about. I never make anybody mad, really. You never make anybody mad. You're making me mad by lacking like that. And uh, some of these... Some of these young guys waiting on me in some of these restaurants. They come, hello, what would you like for dinner? I'm like, first of all, I want you to talk like a man, okay? I have no idea why you're talking like that, but I, when I'm talking to them, I'll have a hamburger, you know? And, uh, you know? Don't talk like this, you know? First of all, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not talking about moderation. Isn't it good to be in this church here? I'm going to tell you what, you don't get this kind of preaching anywhere. And I mean, this is, this is, this is deep right here. This is deep. Let your moderation, the actual Greek word is gentleness. It is, it means to, it literally means to let the Lord fight your battles. That's, a, that's a, a literal translation is to let the Lord fight your battles. I am not going to get bitter. I'm not going to take up offense. It is a person who is free to let things go because they know God will take care of me. God fights my battles. Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, that may mean that Paul was saying, man, Jesus is about ready to split the sky right open. But I, I don't think if you were to exegete this correctly, that's actually what it's saying. I think what it's saying is the Lord is with you everywhere you go. He's with you. He's with you, folks. He is with you in the trouble. He didn't come to get you out of trouble. He came to get into trouble with you. Right there where you are, he's there. Paul said, look, I'm in prison. He hasn't got me out. I'm still in prison, but I will tell you one thing, even though he hasn't got me out, he's got in here right next to me. He said, the Lord is with me. This week uh, marks the hundred year anniversary of the Russian revolution. When Russia was overcome, soon became the Soviets and through a series of uh, terrible things uh, for 70 years underneath a terrible uh, mindset of, called communism. Uh, Stalin, others were part of that. It is said that back in Stalin's day, some of the officers of Stalin's government were persecuting Christians and putting them to death. There were 30 Christians meeting in a room, a building, and they came in to persecute them, even kill them. And they said, we're making a list of those who are enemies of the state. And so they began to count them. One, two, three, 17, 18, 20, 29, 30. There are 30 of you, and we're going to report you. And one of them raised their hand and said, uh, officer, I'm afraid you have the wrong number. He said, what do you mean? He said, there are 31 of us because Jesus is here with us. Amen. It was that understanding that the Lord is at hand. I can be happy 
because the Lord is at hand. I can be joyful because the Lord is at hand. Now, folks, we can't change the things that have happened in your past, and some of it's terrible. I agree. It's just terrible. Some of the stuff you've had to endure as a child or a young man or a young woman or some crazy marriage situation, I, mean, I agree. It's just, it's just terrible. Some of the stuff you've had to put up with at work or physically or just you name it. It's a, it's a rough world out there. But I, you can't change those kind of things. I mean, it just, that's just the way life goes. But I'll tell you one thing. While I can't change my past, I can change my future. And I can be relentless in my dedication, selfless in every connection with others, ceaseless in my joy, and limitless in my humiliation. God, I'll let you fight my battles for me. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.